Hey, Lisa, come over here. Put my heels on today. <laughs> um, welcome to Podcast 209 with the uh, focus on consolidation and independence. If I had my fife, I'd be playing it for the crowd. Yes, you would, in your Renfair costume, no doubt. Predating our great Declaration of Independence. Nice try, Chris. <laughs> Just wanted everyone to know, Lisa loves the Renaissance Fair. I do, yes. But you know what I love even more? Consolidation? No. <laughs> crushing consolidation. Yes, crushing consolidation, which either could be a descriptive term, because that's what consolidation can be, or it could be what we would like to do to consolidation, right. which is to crush it. Yes, yes. So we want to talk today about consolidation, uh, what happens when companies combine and that sort of thing. We want to talk about consolidation uh, in the wake of Google having just bought WebPass, an ISP that we interviewed a few weeks ago. We thought was really great. One of those signs of those innovative young companies that can bring competition to the marketplace and and uh, give people choices. And well, you know, now they're owned by Google. And Google certainly uh, has a history of delivering very high quality services and customers tend to like them. But frankly, as Google grows, I am worried about whether or not they can keep that up. And I'm very disappointed that WebPass is no longer independent. Wah, wah, wah. Yes. So I, I fully expect that WebCast will, will continue to do a good job and whatnot, um, but they are not independent. And seeing as how this is a week in which we should be reflecting on independence, we wanted to circle back and talk a little bit about why that's important. And I think maybe a good place to start is in one of those things that we talk about a lot, which is the overhype of public-private partnerships. Ah, yes. Chris's favorite. Some people, you know, they want to talk about how public-private partnerships are the only way to do anything and this and that. But I think we just had a good lesson uh, earlier this year about the danger of public-private partnerships, which we might just call PPPs or P3s to save our popping. The poison pills Yes, public-private partnerships. (laughs) Uh, But uh, what happened at UC2B, the Urbana-Champaign network, Lisa, earlier this year? So um, the UC2B network is one of those networks that uh, was created by um, the municipalities. Uh, Actually, it was a a collaboration between Urbana-Champaign and the University University of Illinois was also involved. So um, they deployed a fiber optic network, which actually um, ended up serving a lot of people who might not otherwise have, who would not have otherwise been able to get such great service. There were um, people who obtained service for as low as $20 a month. Right. So they they had connected all these community anchors. And as a part of that, they also connected uh, these low-income neighborhoods where people were unserved or underserved. Right. And one of the reasons why it lauded as such a great network is because it was in a last-mile network. And there were so many people who were able to get service, you know, affordable, fast, reliable service. Right. So UC2B has this network connecting low-income neighborhoods, and they're really excited about trying to figure out how to extend that to the entire city. And they search far and wide. They cast a wide net. They worked really hard to find the best possible provider to work with them because they didn't want to do it themselves. They're a city in which they don't even have a water utility. They have no utility functions as a city or as either one of their cities. The university sure didn't want to run it. So they're finding a partner. They worked really hard. I'm trying to make this point, right? They're making really hard to find just that right partner, the Goldilocks partner. They chose ITV3 Yes, ITV3. 
They were a local provider. Right. They had a great reputation for customer service. And lo and behold, less than a year after signing that agreement, it's announced that this new entity, Countrywide, that no one has any idea really what it is, except that it's funded by some capital folks in, out in uh, New York. So the money comes from New York. Apparently, the people are coming out of St. Louis, and they're going to be taking over this network right. in Illinois, and they're going to be adding on. So... They've got all the assets. Yeah, fortunately, now ITV3, um, you know, when they decided to sell, the communities actually have a right of first refusal because mm-hmm. they put that in the contract, and that was very smart. Now, they've elected not to uh, use that, and so they're going to work with Countrywide, and they're actually excited because ITV3 had not actually expanded in the way that was expected. I think a lot of people thought that ITV3 was having problems with cash flow because they had been getting a lot of money from their family rental video business, which had been doing very well and I think may have just fallen off a cliff. Uh, But at any rate, this is what happens when you're not independent, right? Like you have a community that was dependent on on a partner. They worked very hard to select just the right partner. And then that partner being a, a free entity in the great United States of America, they can just sell themselves. And they did. And now the community you see to be had the ability to buy the network and give themselves some protection. They elected not to do that. But I think that just having that provision gave them a little more control mm-hmm. in terms of the negotiations mm-hmm. with the two. But it's it's one of those things where people talk about PPP, PPP, PPP. That's that's nine P's, I think. And they're, they're, they're so excited. Like, everything's got to be a public-private partnership. Ignoring all of the problems that can come along and the uncertainties that can result. Because who knows who you'll be dealing with in a few years when you're working with a private company in mm-hmm. this industry. Mm-hmm. You know, like, private companies like U.S. Internet that have been around for a long time, I do not see them consolidating. Um, I I think Sonic will be independent for as long as Dane can, you know, sign his name to things. I, but I worry about a lot of partners, and I worry about where they'll be in 10 or 15 years, yeah, even Yeah, I less. mean, if it's a company that, you know, these family-owned companies, you know, if it is independent, it's family-owned, sometimes the kids just decide they don't want to do it. Right. You know? Yeah. That, that happens. Well, you were here an hour ago from my rant about how the inheritors of things ruin everything. That's right. Yes, yes. That's Children right. ruin I mean, their parents' it legacy. With family farms. <laughs> um, but but I just want to bring it up, and it's not to say that Countrywide is a bad company and is not going to do a good job. The problem is the uncertainty, and the problem right. is you invest all that effort into finding just the right partner, and then first of all, they don't even really deliver on what you thought they were going to deliver, and then second of all, they sell themselves to a company that you had no ability to vet ahead of time. It's just sort of sprung on you. Um, these are good reasons why you might want to think, wow, public-private partnerships might not be the only possible solution for our problem of having better internet access. Mm-hmm. Municipal networks are challenging, and if you're going to do a public-private partnership, then you really want to structure it more like Westminster did, where they own the fiber and not where uh, you only have this right of first refusal. I mean, that's certain, the right of first refusal is better than nothing, mm-hmm. but there are better ways. And Westminster, Santa Cruz, these are smarter public-private partnerships that give more power to the public sector. And that's what's needed for long-term investments. Although we should be clear, because UC2B does own 
fiber. They own some of the fiber. Right. Right. The original fiber they own. Right. The original fiber they own. And, and it is complicated because then whatever ITV3 bought now has also been up for sale. And that's right. what the community could have purchased. But uh, that's a good correction. Um, but I think the larger point is just that when it comes down to it, don't pretend that public-private partnerships are somehow easier right. or less risky. They're they're different. And in fact, we have a paper that's going to be exploring this that should be out very soon by the time this podcast is airing. Fingers crossed. Yes, exactly. And it's very meaty. Right. So let's talk about something else. Let's talk about big cable. So what happened with uh, with Charter and Time Warner Cable's merger? <sighs> well, they're going to do it. They've got the blessing. Um, but they have to expand broadband to 2 million more premises. Right. This is one of those requirements that actually seems like a really good requirement, right? Right. But let's just hold our breath until it actually happens. Well, no, I mean... I, no, we better not, because then we would suffocate. <laughs> yeah. This is one of those situations in which we have really bad consolidation, I think, because you have the, the industry just getting more and more consolidated at the top. It's really bad for people who are going to be stuck with monopolies that have even more power. And in particular, if you go back to our conversation with the American Cable Association, I actually think this is going to be like double or triply bad for competition among the smaller providers because it makes it much harder for smaller providers to uh, to compete when you have these mega companies at the top. They're going to find ways of shifting costs onto the smaller providers in the sector. Now, this requirement that that Time Warner Cable, New Charter, that they combine, that they expand to two million new premises. You what? know, two million really isn't very many of the of those two million. One million actually have to be expanded in areas where people already have broadband as an option. And so I think the FCC is thinking we're going to increase cable competition. But New Charter sees that and they think, well, there's no way we're going to compete with Comcast. Right. They're our friends. They're our right. frenemies. And we wouldn't want to possibly overbuild them. That would be a bad precedent. So what they're probably going to do is go out and target these smaller cable operations, which even if you're stuck with a cable monopoly, odds are if you have a local cable company, you're probably getting much better service than from a massive cable company. The FCC, I think, is unintentionally basically screwing a lot of those smaller cable companies. Now, I don't want people to think every small cable company is just necessarily good. Some of those small cable companies are rotten. Mm -hmm. Some of them I actually hold in incredibly high esteem. So I'm hoping that the ones that I hold in high esteem aren't the ones that are basically attacked by a new charter, which has all of these advantages that the regulators have just given them in terms of the new scale. Um, but I'm, I think this, isn't, this is not really good policy, frankly. I don't even know if they have the power to do it, but it would have been great to say, you have to compete with Comcast. You, Godzilla, and... Mothra. Mothra, thank you. I knew you'd bail me out of that one. <laughs> Godzilla and Mothra, you have to fight. You can't just go around picking on like the little people of Manhattan. Or Tokyo, I suppose, yes. depending on your movie. So that's I think that's, that's all the big news and big company consolidation that we want to cover. I think we want to cover some of the... Some of the other little things that are happening now. Now, when we talked about consolidation, you wanted to note that that not all consolidation is bad. Is that where you're going? Well, I think you're going to try and make that case. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that all consolidation is bad as long as it's not too ginormous. As an example, there's a network in Georgia, CNS, and it is a combination of several different communities, and one of them, Moultrie. It basically rescued a couple of different communities by consolidating. And these are in Georgia. Yes. 
Um, there was a small community nearby, Doe Run, and another one, Norman Park. One of them had a little private network that was on the verge of collapse because the company couldn't afford to keep it up. And Doe Run had its own little municipal network. You know, it also couldn't afford the upgrades, but Moultrie came in and bought those two networks and it became part of CNS. And now all of those people have fiber service. So in that case, consolidation was a good thing, but that's because it's not huge and because their quote unquote shareholders are the people who are being served. Right. I think that's right. And I, you know, I would be concerned if, if this network was then reaching all across Georgia. Um, I think, you know, nearby communities, I think we're likely to see that they'll continue to have uh, an interest in providing it. And in some ways, there's a difference, I think, between private consolidation and public consolidation, uh, in part because the public, even if, you know, even though Chattanooga is making the decisions about the network, EPB, the Electric Power Board in Chattanooga, is making the decisions and they're connecting the nearby communities that are within their electrical footprint. Those are not you know, communities that have direct oversight over EPB, um, EPB still treats them basically the same. And that's because they're not trying to maximize profits. They're not trying to pull the maximum amount of resources out of the community the way that New Charter and Comcast do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think there's a difference in perspective. And and I also think that, you know, like some small local consolidation can be effective. I mean, this is an industry in which there are returns to scale. And so we don't want everyone to reinvent the wheel. And, and we really don't want um, communities to, like, um, be operating inefficiently when they could be working with their neighbors collaboratively. So I think that's a good point. I mean, I would say that uh, my rants against consolidation are generally targeted at maybe just the top, you know, few providers in the sure, country. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it, consolidation as a word could be taken as a relative in this particular instance. Sure. But, you know, here's an example in which some regional consolidation like that actually has been harmful. And that's the podcast we just did with uh, Bob Farmer from um, Glenwood Springs. Oh, yeah. Open access in Glenwood Springs. Right. So they had this open access network and they got some small local providers that wanted to operate on it. And those um, companies were then bought by regional providers. And those regional providers didn't really have any interest in operating on the open access network. You know, I think it's the kind of thing where if you're an ISP or maybe you're a WISP, and you're active in this community, and then you have an opportunity to jump on this local fiber network and double your number of customers or something like that, that's a great opportunity. But then maybe you get bought by a company that has that's 20 times larger than you. And suddenly that number of customers on the, on the open access system, well, that seems insignificant or less important. And so here again, we see where we, if you're planning on doing open access and you're planning on having local providers, you should be aware of the dynamic. This is an industry which has tremendous consolidation. Mm-hmm. And that's because generally, I mean, you know, if I owned a network and I was serving a few thousand people and that network is, let's say it's worth like a few thousand dollars per person that's served. And I got an offer from a bigger company to say, hey, sell us your network and we'll pay you 50% above what it's worth to get you to sell it to us. Well, that might be pretty nice for my family. I'm thinking I'm going to send my kids to college or we're going to buy an island in the Pacific. Right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't Big know. boat. Right. But that's where, you know, it's just it's important to recognize that things can change rapidly in this industry. You know, when I talk to the folks from WebPass, I never would have had the idea that they would want to be taking orders from Google. Right. And maybe they're not going to be or maybe they think they're not going to be. 
But sometimes that payday really looks nice. Speaking of paydays, I think you also wanted to talk about Cincinnati Bell. Yeah, I mean, this is one in which some conversations recently about Ohio. And when I was talking to some people in Ohio, we were talking about how Ohio hasn't had any of the anti-muni legislation really rearing that its ugly head there. And, and I was trying to get a sense of why. And one of the reasons that someone suggested was that perhaps because Cincinnati Bell is there and Cincinnati Bell is its own entity, it's not part of AT&T, it's not part of CenturyLink. And so in Ohio, you actually have um, you know, some different voices talking um, in the legislature. So, you know, if it was a state that was basically just dominated by AT&T, which is the case in, um, in Wisconsin, um, you know, I think AT&T can basically say this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. But when you have different companies who even may largely have the same interests from a private sector point of view, they have different agendas and they have different willingness to work together. And so you have different voices talking to uh, elected officials. And I think that's important. I think that, you know, if I had to have the choice between one cable company lobbying for an issue and then having the entire state or having 10 different cable companies that were all privately owned and lobbying the state, perhaps even with more lobbyists in total in the capital representing private interests, I would always rather have those different groups because you're going to have different interests. There's such danger in that consolidated speaking with one voice and talking to the legislature and, and convincing them of that, you know, down is up because you're the only one that's really the expert in the matter mm-hmm. uh, speaking on it. And I just that's one of the most underappreciated dangers of consolidation is in the political realm because of the political power that comes. And if there's one thing that we can say about the relationship between political and economic power, it's that. You know, the more economic power you have, the more political power you have, the more political power you have, suddenly the more economic power you have because you shift the rules to be in your favor and boom, what do you know? Your business share grows, your your market share grows. So I don't know. I mean, there might be different reasons for why Ohio is has a unique situation and not totally unique, but given the the dynamics and politics there, I'm surprised it hasn't come up. And um, and I think, you know, Cincinnati Bell's doing some fiber. They've been willing to think differently than AT&T and whatnot. And so I think it's worth remembering that breaking up AT&T was the right decision, that having these different companies, you know, even if they're not competing directly with each other, just having that power a little bit decentralized and not so centralized, it makes a difference for a number of areas uh, in which you, we, I think we get better public policy outcomes when industry cannot speak with a single voice through a single company. Speaking of independence, Chris... I'm really looking forward to your vacation away from the office. (laughs) (laughs) We are recording this the week before uh, the July 4 weekend, and I'm going to be taking some time off. And uh, I'm I'm sorry to say that the office will probably be a lot quieter without me. I I don't know how you're going to deal with that. (laughs) I don't know either. I'll be crying in my Mai Tai. Maybe I'll pay someone to just show up and knock on your door and come into your office and distract you right when you're in the middle of something important. Well, thank you, everyone, for sticking with us in this uh, discussion about consolidation. You know, we didn't have a, a whole lot of hard evidence and whatnot. It's more just a sense of I feel like this is we're going to be dealing with this a lot more. I think we're going to be dealing with more privatization efforts. Um, Bristol, Virginia, the BVU network is about to be privatized, which I just think is really Uh, frustrating. Uh, A major reason for that is because the state legislature basically refuses to let it expand. So they're going to privatize it and a private company then will be able to expand it. That will be good for the region. But 
I worry about the future of it. I worry about it being consolidated further uh, in uh, terms of other uh, networks in the in the future. Um, and so I think consolidation is going to be a, a theme that we're going to come back to time and time again. Certainly the, the private cable companies, the, the big telephone companies, they're going to keep buying up rivals every chance they get. And the more consolidation there is, ironically, uh, the more municipal broadband we're likely to have, I think, because the more they consolidate, the worse their service is, the more communities look for alternatives. So even though this is a dynamic that actually I think helps us make our case for why community networks are so wise, it's just frustrating to watch it happen because consolidation kills jobs. It kills innovation. It's really bad on almost all fronts when you're talking about the big companies consolidating. And it's just bad for people who want to use the services. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, consolidating means they're firing your neighbor that works the, the, for the cable system, basically. And they're going to you know, hire a guy three towns over and he's going to cover the whole footprint. And it means you're going to have to wait three days longer to get a cable appointment. You know, um, it's, that's fundamentally what it is. Consolidation works because they fire people and reduce the payroll. Right. It is inefficient to have multiple companies doing the same thing because there are more people doing the same thing. Right. Now, that unfortunately is actually what provides employment for most of us. You know, there's other think tanks, there's other like policy shops that are doing the work that you and I are doing, Lisa. Yes. If they all consolidated... But they don't do it as well. <laughs> I, I like to think that as well. Or at least we have a unique point of view. <laughs> right. We're, 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 that, we're the special flower. You know, this idea that consolidation is actually efficient, it's, it's efficient because you lose your job. And that's, that's not what we need. Um, in fact, we need to uh, strike that balance between, um, you know, an economy of scale in which there's uh, some efficiency just in terms of cost. You don't want to reinvent the wheel, have three head ends in three different cities that are right next to each other. But you do want to have lots of good customer service and you want to encourage investment, that sort of thing. You don't want to consolidate so that Comcast can open a new, a new CSR center, the Customer Service Representative Center in the Philippines. That doesn't help us. Nope. Anyway, it's a. I think I was gonna try and end, but I just <laughs> went on another rant. rant. So, so thanks everybody for tuning in again, and we will talk to you again next week. Take care. That was Chris and me, Lisa Gonzalez, discussing consolidation and independence, and how it relates to telecommunications, internet access, and municipal networks. We want to thank the group Fifes and Drums of the Old Barracks for the special music this week. The song was Cork Hornpipe, licensed through Creative Commons. Transcripts for these podcasts are available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Please share your ideas for future podcasts. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks.org. Thanks again for listening to episode 209 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>